chapter 7. It's happened so often, I'm no longer even shocked. But uh, tonight, we don't, we don't get together and talk about what he does and what I do, and yet sometimes how it fits. So tonight, we're talking about how to respond to a critical spirit. And uh, here, just hearing about how Job prayed for his friends, what a, what a blessing that is. So, uh, Judges chapter 7. <clears throat> well, that's, uh, couldn't help but just get a little bit of a shiver of what could, uh, with Linnell's situation with uh, your daughter, my goodness, that's a, that's a blessing that she came back all right. That happened to my sister when she was about, I don't know, two, three years old. Wasn't hard walking, uh, hardly walking. And was found a mile down the road from our house. And I wasn't quite as grateful as Linnell was to get her back, but I mean, I suppose that was a good thing anyway in the long run. But praise the Lord for that. Judges chapter 7, what happens after a big spiritual victory? Have you ever had a big spiritual victory in your life? That's when whammo, Satan steps in, criticism comes. No matter how great your victory may be, no matter how excited we are about it, inevitably, inevitably, negativity is going to start flowing our way. From some kind of source, uh, it'll come because Satan does not want us to experience spiritual victory. It won't be long until we experience animosity after we have victory. Now, I want to look at our text tonight. This is right after the big, big victory, this battle that was won, chapter 7, verse 20, uh, 23. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtai and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites and Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters into Bethbara and Jordan then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of Bethbara and Jordan and they took two princes of the Midianites Oreb and Zeb and they slew Oreb on the rock Oreb and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side Jordan I mean we're talking 100% victory here. Going on in chapter 8, And the men of Ephraim said to him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. I'm going to stop there because next week we'll look at his response, which was phenomenal. But tonight I want to look at how to deal with a critical spirit or the benefits of receiving criticism. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight find ourselves in this passage in this message, and I hope it's a help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest things to give, or one of the hardest things to take, is also the easiest thing to give, criticism. It's easy to give it. It's hard to take it. Uh, there are people who are habitual critics. Uh, as, I mean, of all that's good. I mean, there's, they always have some complaint, always have some grievance, always have some personal slight, real or usually it's even imaginary, but they hold on to those things. No matter what you do in life, you're going to have critics. The only way to avoid having critics or hearing criticism is to do nothing, be nothing, and accomplish nothing. Because if you're going to do something for God, you're going to face criticism. You're going to have critics in your life. Paul made a big deal about this. He said it's so important that Christians in Ephesus encourage one another. In Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Don't allow critics to cause you to lose your joy 
or your vision. Now tonight, I'll just kind of departing, using this as a, as, a, as a jumping off point, I guess, but I want to look at benefits of criticism. What are some benefits in our life that we can take from criticism? Number one, we can look for seeds of truth in criticism, and that encourages humility. Seeds of truth in criticism encourages humility. Uh, the critic, if you look at it this way, is the only independent source of information. Everything else is advertising. But the critic is sometimes the only true source of information. It's not easy to take an honest look at yourself. It's not easy to look at my own weaknesses for me and to look at myself. Uh, but if you want to grow in your Christian life, you'll do that once in a while. Look at yourself and take an honest uh, inventory. Let, that, that Really what we're talking about is learning from the unpleasant. Sometimes things that come or we hear or criticism that we hear and we can learn from the unpleasant. Sometimes, not only sometimes, usually there is some truth in the criticism that is leveled at us. Even if it's unfair, even if it's unwarranted, sometimes there's some truth in it. I heard this statement, they that know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. You know where pride is really is, is, a, is a false view of yourself. If we really know, remember when Isaiah got a good view of himself, got a good view of God? Woe is me. So criticism can help us keep humble. Now we don't like it, but it can help us keep humble. Uh, Tom was so excited because of his promotion to be a vice president. And he kept bragging about it to his wife. I, I'm a vice president now. And she listened to this for a couple of weeks, finally couldn't take it any longer. So she said, you know what? Vice president means nothing. She says, why, down at the grocery store, they have a vice president of peas. He says, no, they do not. And he's thinking about this. Finally, he thought, you know, I'm going to call him. So he calls down at the grocery store. I'd like to speak to the vice president of peas. And the answer was canned or frozen. Uh, you know, sometimes criticism in our life will help keep us humble. We are humbled sometimes by criticism. You know what would help us in our Christian life? Not to be defensive. Just not to be defensive. And this is hard. Hear people out. One thing I have learned, not all seeming attacks are attacks. Not all of them. Some of them are, but not all attacks or things that seem to be an attack is an attack. Sometimes if we listen, by the way, God gave you two of these and one of these, right? We ought to do twice as much of this as we do of this. But he gave us those ears to listen, to hear. Sometimes if we are patient and we hear out the criticism, it'll help us improve. Now we are geared 100% to automatically flare up and defend ourselves in the face of criticism. John Wesley was a great preacher of the 1700s. And uh, he was kind of considered a spiffy dresser. He liked to dress sharp. And one Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie with long ribbons that came uh, down toward his shirt, hung downward. And after the service, a lady huffed up to him, and she says, Brother Wesley, are you open to criticism? And he says, I suppose so. What do you have to criticize? And she said, the ribbons on your tie are too long uh, for a man of God, and it offends me. And then she took out a pair of scissors and cut them off. They were like way shorter than they were before. Obviously, a hush fell around the people that were surrounding them. And uh, Wesley 
asked calmly, are they all right now? And she says, yes, that's much better. He says, can I have those scissors now? And he asked, I'm sure you wouldn't mind some criticism in return. He said, I don't mean to be cruel, but I must tell you, madam, that your tongue is an offense to me. It's too long. Please stick it out. I'd like to trim off a little bit. Now, that's what we like to do, isn't it? That makes us, that, we, we laugh at that because we're thinking, yeah, that's what she needed. That's what she deserved. We like that. We want to lash out in criticism, to criticism. But looking for seeds of truth in criticism encourages humility in our life. Number two, two. Learning from criticism allows you to improve. In your life, there's always room for improvement. In fact, it's the biggest room in your house. The room for improvement. Almost every critic gives you tools to better yourself. Although this, again, is hard. This isn't easy we're talking tonight. We're talking to the God's faithful tonight on a Wednesday night. This isn't easy, but it is very healthy for us if we allow, uh, to allow ourselves to hear things, give us tools to better ourselves. Again, the automatic defense to criticism, or the automatic response is defense to criticism. If we are willing to have an open heart and hear criticism, it'll help us. It really will. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, and we did a church camping trips, and and uh, where ha- almost ha- usually half or more of the church would go uh, to a campground, we'd have, ca- we'd have Sunday services, Sunday night services, we'd invite people and we'd preach the gospel and, and uh, just had a, a great time together, uh, camping together and fellowshipping. And one of my things that I enjoy are IBC root beers in a bottle. Amen? They're the best. They're the best. Uh, if you're going to drink pop, I enjoy those. So I had treated myself, got a couple of, four packs, and I had them in my cooler, and throughout the weekend I was drinking that. Well, one of the ladies, I didn't realize this, was severely offended, and uh, older ladies in our church, and she came to see me week after we got back, and, and she unloaded. That just, she said there was kids around, and that looked like beer, beer bottles, you know, and I've never drank in my life. I don't drink. I've never even thought of it. I don't make that connection. And uh, now there's two ways you can respond here. Bless God, I can drink root beer if I want to. Amen? I mean, it's root beer, for goodness sake. Or, uh, what I did, and, you know, it took a little bit of swallowing, but I, I thanked her. said, listen, I always want to have the best testimony possible, so I appreciate you helping me get to that point. I wrote her a thank you card later that day, sent it out. Thank you for helping me, uh, you know, make, have a better testimony in front of people, and I only drank root beers in my basement from then on. Uh, but we need to have that open. And now, by the way, I give you that illustration because it sticks out because I do that not, to, not always. I don't always respond that way, but we should. We should just have an open heart to when people give us some criticism. Number three, criticism opens you up to new perspectives and ideas that you may not have considered. Whenever someone challenges you, it can help to expand your thinking. That's why it's important for us to hear it out. When people come to criticize Hear it out. Uh, It brings perspective. You know the sun is 865,000 miles across, and yet you can block it out with a dime if you hold it close enough to your eye? Isn't that amazing? That's a big sun, and you can block it out with a a dime uh, because of the perspective. Now, the problem is we don't often step back enough and get a good look at ourselves. 
we basically, what we do is we block ourselves out, by that I mean our deficiencies, we block out our own deficiencies with our self-perception. That's our dime, our self-perception. And so we are, it's just blocking out what we really are. Criticism sometimes helps us to see those areas in our life. So number three, criticism opens you up to new perspectives. Number four, criticism or your critics give you an opportunity to practice active listening. Now, what does this mean? Resist the urge to talk uh, or resist the urge to sit and only plan your rebuttal while they are speaking. We saw a great example of this last night during a debate. Just sit back, let them finish their thought. Maybe it wasn't such a great example, but uh, consider what the other person is saying and uh, listen. This is very, again, I'm not giving you easy stuff tonight. This is hardcore boot camp type Christian living right here. This is not easy to do when we're being criticized to shut our yapper and just listen and hear them out. Uh, by nature, we want to be our own lawyer. We like to be our own advocate and to speak up, but we need to give them an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to practice, practice active listening. When I'm talking about active listening, it's not what we do uh, to, when our wife is talking at the breakfast table and we got the paper up and we're reading and we're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's not active listening. Active listening is looking in the, in the eyes, uh, responding, and uh, taking in what they're saying. It's hard to do when it's criticism, but it helps us. Number five. Here's a good one. You have the chance to practice forgiveness when you come up against harsh, harsh critics. Isn't that nice? To practice forgiveness. Don't you love to practice forgiveness? Neither do I. We don't like to practice forgiveness, but we can, Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, that if any man have a quarrel against any, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's a hard thing. Most of us carry around stress and frustration like it's in a backpack. We're carrying around and we're, we're likely to misdirect it from time to time. And sometimes a simple critical word to us is like lighting our fuse and that's when we just blow up. We need to be careful. We need to practice forgiveness. What's the answer? Forgive. We have a chance to practice forgiveness when you come up against harsh critics. Number six, criticism pre presents an opportunity to choose peace over conflict. When criticized, our instinct is to fight back. It is, isn't it? I mean, we want to defend ourselves, fight back, give reasons, uh, give alternative views to what they're saying. And uh, we want to, uh, by the way, what, when we do this, what does that do? It just creates more drama. Then that brings, and then it, voices are raised, and then you're not having criticism anymore. You're having just a regular old fight. Luke 6, 27, but I say unto you which here love your enemies... <laughs> Do good to them which hate you. Let's just read that verse again. Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. you have anybody in your life that hates you? That's not a good feeling, is it? I have people in my life, they hate my guts. I don't get it. I don't understand it. How could you not love me? I don't know. But I got people like that. You probably do too. And, you know, 
you, you just, the best thing you can do is love them. Love them back. It's not easy. Do good to them. If you have an opportunity to do good to those that hate you, do good to them. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirreth up stripes, strives, but love covereth all sins. Uh, we seek peace. That's what we ought to do when we're being criticized. Seek peace. Learned years ago, a, a preacher was preaching, and he was talking about this, getting uh, people being critical and stuff. He says, uh, the best thing you can do is just smile. He had a big gap in his tooth. That's maybe why I remember it. Best thing to do is just smile. And he smiled real big, big old gap in his tooth. Uh, that's sometimes the best thing we can do, isn't it? Just smile. Receiving criticism, smile. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer, answer turneth away wrath. But a grievous word stir up anger. Grievous words is what we want to give in the midst of criticism. Grievous words feel good. Ho, 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 you would say that about me? Let me tell you, Buster, I know a few things about you. And usually, we do. Usually we have a, I can tell you this, as a pastor, I typically have, where they have a pop gun, I have a shotgun. Where they have a shotgun, I got a cannon. It's just because of the nature of pastoring, you learn things about people, and you can, if you want to, you can really unload on some people. And so we have to be careful. We can all do that, though. We want to bring up grievous words. We want to fight back. We want to uh, uh, defend ourselves, but a soft answer turneth away wrath. Just be kind, and uh, sometimes we smile and take it. You say, Pastor, you got this figured out. No, I don't. Knowledge of this is one thing. Doing it is an entirely different story. Okay? I recognize these are some of the things I've learned, but it doesn't mean I've got them mastered by any means. Number seven. This is a big one. Fielding criticism helps you lessen the need to be right. Now, we want to be right. We want to not only... Not, by, by the way, you don't have to be right. I know this is a shocker. We don't have to be right. And by right, I mean if you're having a disagreement, one of you is right and one of you is wrong. I mean, you might be right technically, but you don't have... There's some people who absolutely have to be right, but they have to be declared so by the other person. They have to be... That person has to recognize that I'm right. Not really. Not really. You know what happens if you're right and the other person doesn't recognize it? The sun's still going to come up tomorrow. The world's still going to keep turning. Not much is going to change. You don't have to be right. Nothing closes an open mind like ego. And when we allow pride in, we have to be right. It's bad for personal growth. It's damaging to relationships. And what criticism does is it can help us get to a point of maturity where we don't have to always be right. I remember heated arguments I used to have with my sister when we were kids. And I don't know how many, many times I told her, all right, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, which one of us is right? Now, I don't remember any of those arguments. I certainly won't care when I get to heaven. Why? Because they don't matter. They don't matter. They didn't really matter then. They were a big deal to me then, but they didn't matter then, and they don't matter now, and we have to remember. Uh, truth, remember this, truth is not affected whether or not somebody acknowledges that you're right. doesn't change truth. doesn't change anything. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. 
Uh, it's not going to change anything to get somebody to admit that you're right. It doesn't change truth. And so let's not get caught up in having to having to having to be right. Just because Jeremy drives a GMC and likes it doesn't change the fact that the Jeep is the best vehicle on the road. Amen? Truth is truth is truth is truth. Doesn't have to be, we don't have to be called where right now I'm joking, but we get caught up on stuff like that. We get caught up when we have to be right and they have to acknowledge that we're right. We do the same with Bible truth, argue about stuff. And we have to be right or we can't fellowship anymore. I've heard preachers preach several. I've heard in this specific one, but other things too. But preachers preach adamantly on what Jesus wrote on the sand. Remember Jesus wrote on the sand when that woman of ill repute was brought and then they all dropped the rocks. And, and I've heard preachers claim, I mean, they are adamant on the, they, they're saying what he wrote on the sand. Well, the truth of the matter is, buddy, you don't know what Jesus wrote on the sand. Nobody does. It's not in the book. We can speculate. I have my own ideas. I have speculation, but that's all it is, speculation. But I, people get caught up, and they have to be right. You have to agree with them. Well, guess what? Uh, it's not going to change truth. It's not going to change anything, really. A correct response to critics helps you realize you don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be declared right. Okay, number eight. Your critics give you an opportunity to challenge your people-pleasing tendencies. We have tendencies to be people-pleasers. Critics help us to remember we're not here to please them. The Bible says in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God? Hey, what are you, what are you living? What are you, who are you living for? Who are you living to please? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul goes as far as to say, if you are a men pleaser, you're not a Christ pleaser. You've got to be one or the other. Now you can't, you know, we like to have a little bit of both. We've got to be ultimately a Christ pleaser. That doesn't mean we're rude or mean or uncaring about what men think, but we are primarily to be a Christ pleaser, and criticism helps you with that. I, I gotta, I've had to do it more times than I want to count. When I preach my heart out, just give everything I have, and then somebody comes and criticizes it. And i got to remember, i got to remember, I, you know, ultimately I was preaching to please the Lord and just kind of got to leave it there. And uh, so it's, that's what we have to do. Uh, relationships that are based on a constant need of approval are one of the most draining things you'll ever be involved in. If you're in a relationship of any type and you're constantly needing the approval of those around you, it's draining. Uh, uh, to, to please one is so much easier than to please a hundred, amen? Just live to please one. So you want me to liberate you tonight? You're not going to please everybody. You're not. And that's okay. You can't please everybody. You can please some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. You, you're not going to please everybody, and that's okay. We're not supposed to try to please everybody. It's liberating if we can just let people think what they want and realize that, guess what? They're going to think that anyway. And I'm not talking about, you know, we teach biblical truth, we try to bring people along, but I'm just talking about things in the areas that don't matter and the, uh, people that have a critical spirit. We, we need to not get too caught up on that. Number nine, criticism teaches you not to sweat the small stuff. You know, 
I have found in my experience that criticism is almost never about things that matter all that much. I go back to criticism about uh, things I preach on or, or my preaching, whatever. I've had uh, numerous times I get that. So I get a person that's critical on that. And it's usually, I'm usually kind of uh, saddened a little bit. Like, that wasn't the point. That was such an obscure part of, you know, maybe it was a part of an illustration or something. Well, it wasn't... It wasn't the part of the message, you know. I mean, you have this huge message you're trying to bring out and trying to uh, make this point, and then obscure, tucked away in something here, you know, you had something wrong. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't about it. it wasn't, it's the small stuff. It's not the big stuff. Typically, criticism is just like a little... I used to have a German shepherd in Michigan, best dog I ever had. We couldn't bring him out here, so we had to let him go. But he, uh, uh, he, I used to take this German shepherd on walks, and he was a great dog. And some of our neighbors had those little little ankle yappers, you know, just little dogs about that being yip, 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 yip. And that dog would come up and just go crazy on my German Shepherd. And he would just kind of look down at him and, and uh, just unconcerned, you know, wasn't any threat to him. But that's kind of how critics are. Just, just yip, 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 yip. And, and uh, just about little, little insignificant things. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter if people don't like the way you say tomato in the grand scheme of things. And uh, we, we need to just not get all caught up in things that don't matter, really. Let's keep the main thing the main thing and just not get caught up in all kinds of things that don't matter. Now, all that being said, lots of benefits from hearing criticism. This does not mean I am giving a green light to being a critic. If you're here tonight and you're thinking, man, that's great. I'm so good at being critical, and now I know I can be a help to people. That's not what we're talking about at all, okay? Don't be a critic. I mentioned these things because there's always going to be critical people. They're always around. There's going to be, especially if you're doing anything for God. How you raise your kids, how you dress your kids, how you feed your kids. How often you go to church, where you go to church, what you're doing today. You're always going to have people criticize things that you do. So I'm, I'm speaking from that angle, not in saying that it's okay to be a critic, because it absolutely isn't okay to be a critic. A critic is a nobody doing nothing criticizing a somebody doing something. Another person put it this way, a critic is a legless man who teaches running. <laughs> I thought that's a great illustration there. Don't be a critic. Don't be a critical-minded person. It's easy to be critical in the, of the flaws of others and be absolutely blind to the flaws of your own. And by the way, that's usually the case of a critic. Most of the times, a critical-minded person is completely blind to their own flaws, but they're experts at finding yours. Now again, there's two, two angles we're looking at here when we're receiving it, which we're going to inevitably receive it, the Christian thing is to respond correctly, but now I'm coming from the other way. Don't be that person. Don't be a critic, a critical-minded person. It's easy to be critical in the flaws of others and to be blind to your own. I, my dad has said this before, and I thought this is so wise. Those who can, those who can do. Those who can't, criticize. Let's not be a, a can't. Let's be a can-do. Don't be a critically-minded person. By the way, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Ain't going to be nothing to criticize there. <laughs> Practice down here. 
Don't be a critic, critically minded person. Be an encourager. Be an encourage. Hey, the world has plenty of critics. The church has plenty of critics. Be an encourager. A statue has never been erected to honor a critic. They don't, we don't honor critics. Okay? Don't be that person. Now, Gideon faced criticism. He was not without this problem. Shortly after the Midianites had been defeated, sent fleeing back to their wilderness homes, Ephraim confronted Gideon here about this personal slight that they, by the way, incorrectly perceived, which is usually the case with a critic. Usually they're not, usually it's a perception issue. And the Bible says, and they did chide with him sharply, verse 1. The truth is that criticizers rarely perceive anything correctly. Now, the hostility that the Ephraimites displayed here, uh, this was a black cloud over a joyous occasion. Big time victory. God had brought a great victory. It's time to rejoice. It's time to celebrate. And here comes this black cloud of criticism. Oh, I, I've always encouraged my children. When you walk into a room, you're either going to bring sunshine or a black cloud. I mean, which one do you want to be? I don't want to be the black cloud that walks into a room. You walk in, everybody, ugh. <laughs> I want to hopefully lighten the environment up. And so these, this is what they were, though. God had uh, led Gideon in an astounding victory. You'd think all Israelites would be celebrating the victory, but in spite of all that, there's still a group of people not rejoicing. They chose to get mad. What was the problem? Well, look at the prelude to the hostility here. After the initial victory, the Midianites were pursued uh, south and east toward Jordan, across into their own land. Now, only Gideon and his 300 were in pursuit, and also uh, some of the other Israelites had joined them. So at the initial victory was only Gideon and his 300. We talked about that. They stood, they blew the trumpets, they smashed the pitchers, they held up the torches, they shouted out the battle cry, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Then others became aware of the Midianites when they were fleeing and they set out to pursue them. Verse 23, all of Israel gathered themselves together. They pursued. These were, by the way, these were the men that Gideon had initially sent away and hadn't included in the 300. Praise God for people who at one time were rejected, so to speak, or not chosen for the task, that when they see another opportunity, still get involved and get busy. That's great. Look, they, they were, uh, maybe they were one, some of, maybe some of them had been fearful and went home when that test came, or maybe some of them drank water wrong and Gideon sent them packing, but here they're ready to still get involved. You have to appreciate that willingness. Be willing to serve anywhere God puts you. So, in verse 24, Gideon asks for help from the Ephraimites. There's no hint in their response at this time that they were annoyed at Gideon, but often, you'll see this in the church, often people with a bitter spirit do a great, or they, they have a great beginning, they do a great work in the beginning, then it, uh, they often show good support for a while, and then, uh, then, then after a while you see that their work doesn't come from a pure motive. In fact, Philippians 1.15 says, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and strife. Think about that. Serving God, preaching, opening the Bible, turn your Bibles to this book and we're going to talk, and they're doing it out of envy and strife. So sometimes people are doing good things, and the Midianites did a good thing here, but they had a critical spirit. Gideon's plan worked well. The Midianites ran into the blockade that the Ephraimites had in front of them. 
uh, work of the Ethemites there we see in slaying the two princes. It was a great victory. Uh, by the way, this victory was so great that years later it was still celebrated. Psalm 83 verses 9 through 11 talks about this victory. Isaiah 10, 10 verse 26 talks about this victory. It was listed along those great experiences of the Red Sea crossing and those things, and they listed this victory because what a tremendous victory God brought. And all this victory came because one man gave himself fully to the Lord. Yet now he became the subject of heated criticism from people who lost sight of the great victory. We're going to stop there and, and get into a, a little bit more detail next week and how he responded. But I just want to encourage you tonight that you know we're going to uh, we're going to always <clears throat> face criticism if we're doing something for God. Uh, that doesn't mean we ever ought to hate the people who criticize us. The Bible says to be patient, people be kind to one another. Uh, I have, once, once I get over my initial pride and listen, I often find that there can be a help from it and I can learn from it. And, uh, you know, you initially want to shoot them, but then you listen and then you learn that there's, there might be some truth to that. Almost all criticism is born uh, in some truth because guess what? We all have a long ways to go. We all got a long ways to go. Now, again, it's not the right way to go about it. If, if you see a failing in me, which you will if you hang around with me long enough, uh, you'll see, you know, you know, the Bible says we ought to provoke one another to good works. You, you come and you, you talk to them, but we, we don't have to be critical. You don't have to be of a critical spirit. And so there's a big difference there. But, but since there are uh, constantly going to be criticism in our lives, let's respond correctly. Let's respond godly. Boy, we see Jesus got criticized, didn't he? Over and over and over. And uh, he handled it well, and we ought to as well. So hopefully, hopefully those things are some help to you tonight, and we'll get into uh, Gideon's specific situation more next week.